tonight I want to I want to talk about, you know, with Resurrection Sunday coming, um, Sunday, I kind of want to look at that um, through Scripture, of course. Um, you know, i got to take my coat off. It's warm up here. Man. <laughs> but um, when we look at the resurrection, right, we, if we wanted to try to prove the resurrection, like, that's kind of where I started with this. Like, how do I prove the resurrection? Of course, I mean, for the Christian, it's easy. Jesus' own words said he was going to be delivered of sinful men, and on the third day he was going to be resurrected, right? So uh, it's easy for us to believe it. But if, if we're outside of Christianity, how do we prove it, right? And so there's three points that... Uh, the world uses um, kind of like ways to excuse it away. Like they'll say, you know, um, the people that came to the tomb, like Mary and Peter and John, they were lost. They went to the wrong tomb. And that's pretty ridiculous and it's pretty easy when we look at scripture and even just with common sense, it's pretty easy to dismiss that one. And then secondly, they'll say, but Jesus wasn't really dead. He was just unconscious. And so we're going to kind of look through Scripture. We're going to look at that too. The third, the most widely used reason, and it's still used today, and we see that it was concocted even before the resurrection, was that the body was stolen. And so if we're going to look at those three things and kind of see what scripture says about it and, and then just go from there. So I'm just gonna pray and then we'll take a look at it. Oh Lord, Heavenly Father, I just, uh, Lord, I need you. I, I, I need you to help me, Lord. Um, I wanna look at the scripture tonight, Lord, and try to make sense of these things. And uh, Lord, if I'm left to do this on my own, um, like everything I try to do on my own, I'll I'll, I'll fail at it, Lord. I, I need you to help me. I need your strength. I need your words. Uh, let, the, let your words flow. Let any other words be restrained, Lord. And uh, I just pray that you be with us all tonight and uh, be with me and help me articulate these, these truths that you've given me and be in the hearts and the minds of the listener, Lord, that uh, could be a blessing to us all. I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start with Luke. I want to start in Luke chapter 24. I'm going to start in verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. Now I'm going to stop there for one second, and I'm going to move over to John chapter 19, verse 39. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about an hundred pound weight. So these spices, we know they're, it's a hundred pounds of spice, right? So I'm gonna continue in verse two. They, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed 
thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, now in the words of Jesus, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Now for the Christian, for me, and hopefully for all you, that's all the proof we need, right? It says so in the Word of God. That's good enough for me. It always has been. It always will be. So, and they remembered, they, and they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and unto all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran to the sepulcher, and stooping down, beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. So if we're looking at those three, I'll call them excuses, right? The excuses the world makes for why we can't prove the resurrection. And they'll try to explain it away. And so one, they say they're lost, right? Let's, again, I'm going to go up just real quickly to John. And it says here in in John 19, uh, 40, Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden was a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. So, we see these women, they, they, they go on the you know, first day, which is Sunday in the morning, the stones rolled away. Now, that first kind of excuse, they say, well, they were lost. So pretty quickly we can, I mean, really just common sense kind of tells us, you know, they, they were lost. So Mary and the women were lost. They went back and told Peter and James, and it says Peter and James got separated. I'm sorry, um, John got separated, and John got there first. So they all, all, all three of those parties, the women, Peter, and John, all arrived at different times. Well, we could say that Peter and John kind of were together. They got separated, but we see through Scripture that this place is close to where he was crucified. It wasn't like they had to walk a half a day to get there, right? It was in the garden. It was close to where he was crucified. So let's just say it was two parties for the sake of argument. So the women get lost, which, okay, women, you know, directionally challenged. I mean, there's no GPS. So um, then again, you know, I shouldn't talk because my wife's better at directions than I am. But if, if they got lost, they went back and they told Peter and him and John come and they get lost too by themselves, but get lost to the exact same spot. Like, and then in the course of the whole entire time to follow, the light bulb never went off. Nobody ever said, hey, wait a second. This isn't where we buried them. 
Remember, it was over here. So pretty easily and clearly, they were, that was not the case. The other thing is they say that he wasn't dead. Right? He wasn't dead. He passed out. And so, okay, so he passed out. They took him off the cross. They wrapped him. They prepared him. Through that time, he didn't wake up. So really, kind of really wasn't passed out. It was really more comatose then, right? So then they put him in this cold, damp tomb. He stays there for three days. They scourged him first, beat him, stuck a spear in his side, and water and blood came out. And now they wrapped him in, I picture it like a mummy, right? And we're told 100 pounds of spice. So here he is, he gotta be, if he wasn't dead, he had to be close to dead. The scourging, the beating, the spear, right? And now he's wrapped in this, basically this 100 pound straitjacket lying on the, you could take the youngest, strongest man you could think of and wrap him tightly in a 100 pound straitjacket and lay him down when he's sleeping. When he wakes up, he's not getting out. Let alone Jesus, he was beaten. He was, <laughs> there's no way, there's no way he got, he just woke up and walked away. He definitely was dead, right? So we see through scripture that this stuff, these three excuses don't really make sense. And they, then they say, well, okay, so the third and wi most widely um, told tale was that the body was stolen. So we're gonna read a few verses in Matthew. I'm gonna start in Matthew 27, and we read 62 to 66. Now the next day that followed, the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that, that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And say unto the people, he is risen from the dead. The, the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, you have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and they made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So they were afraid that that was gonna be their story. They were gonna say, well, he, he was stolen. So they wanted to make sure, that they, were, they were afraid that they were gonna actually steal the body of Jesus. So they seal the stone, they put a Roman guard there. So if, let's go back to the story of Jesus wasn't really dead. He was just unconscious. Somehow he gets a supernatural feat of getting out of this 100 pound straitjacket. He is able to roll the, this stone back in his weakened state. And then he overpowered the Roman guard. So that just even takes more credibility away from that, that story. And the fact that the guard was there, I mean, it's kind of proof that he wasn't stolen, my, my opinion. But then let's look at verse 11. Now, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, See ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if, the, and if this come to the governor's ears, 
we will persuade him and we will secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So is the birth of a conspiracy, right? The Roman, sol- the Roman soldiers are getting together. Okay, first of all, I'm going to say I fell asleep. I'm a Roman soldier. My story is I fell asleep. Like, okay, well, they get, said they gave them large sums of money, and they're saying, we got your back. If it comes to the higher authorities, we got you covered. We'll, we'll cover for you. So I, I don't quite know how that was going to work. doesn't tell us, but I guess they felt okay with that, and that's what they came up with for a story. But obviously, that, that would have meant death for that Roman soldier. And, and, you know, this conspiracy was born and they stuck to it the whole entire time. And, and not only that, but if you're to believe, if we are to believe that the disciples stole the body, that would mean going forward through their lives if memory serves me, I should have wrote this down, but I think all the apostles were martyred except for John, right? So, so not only did they concoct the story, I remember my brothers and I got into a fight one day and they threw me through a plate glass window at home. My parents were out. And so immediately, I wasn't even up off the ground and the conspiracy was being born. We're gonna tell them you were walking and you fell and like, and I'm like, what do I got to lie for? I'm the victim here. But it's like, well, you were fighting too. So it's like, okay, so here we are. Like, yeah, we, we concoct this story. Well, it took my father about three minutes to figure it out, right? And going forward, how much are we going to sacrifice to hold to that story? Like, like it's it, like the apostles, right? They're going to martyr them and put them to death because of this made-up story, and they're not going to any time leading up to that say, no, 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 you're right, it was, it was all a lie, it never happened, and, um, you know, forgive us, whatever. No, you don't allow yourself to be put to death for a non-truth, for something, it's something you're convicted of and you believe in. They were put to death for their faith, but the fact that they were put to death and allowed themselves to get to that point leads me to believe, and it's, in my opinion, it's clear evidence that it's true. And we believe it's true anyway. Again, go back to, Scripture says it's true. That's all I need. But if I'm a non-believer and I'm trying to deduct this through opinion and through common sense, it still doesn't line up. It still doesn't line up. So, So that's, you know, I have a guy that I went to school with, and um. We're friends on Facebook, and he's an atheist. And so he posts a picture of the, you know, the power strips with the plug on them, the short cord, and it's hanging on a wall, and the cord comes, and it's plugged into itself. And it says something like, I'm paraphrasing, like uh, those people that say um, the Bible's true because it says so in the Bible. And, And so, you know, the cord's plugged into itself. That's the joke, right? And so when I first saw it, I was like offended, kind of. I started to think about it. I'm like, from a non-believer's point of view, it's kind of what it is. It's like, yeah, I, why, I believe the Bible. Why is the resurrection true for me? Because I believe the word of God. And so if you think about it, 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 it takes faith. 
without faith, you're not going to believe the resurrection was real. You're not going to believe anything was real, right? So, you know, it's always been faith. It's always taken faith, right? It says in Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham righteously, sorry, I can look it up. I'm going to look it up. I'm not going to paraphrase it. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Why was Abraham counted as righteous? Because he believed in the Lord. And we see that going forward. What about Noah? Noah was, he had faith. God says to Noah, build an ark. He's living in a world where it never rained. What does he say? Does he, does he kind of roll his eyes? Well, from scripture, as far as we know, he's just obedient. Build an ark, okay. And he takes 100 years to build an ark in a land where it's never rained. That, that takes faith. If Noah grew up on the Gulf, the Gulf of Mexico side of Florida, and he had to move every three years because the hurricane floods wiped his house away, and God came to him and said, hey, build an ark, he would have said, well, yeah, good idea. Wish I thought of that. But that wouldn't have taken faith. That, all that would take is awareness, open eyes, reality that's in front of you. But when he's told to build an ark in the desert, in a world that's never rained, it takes faith. Same thing when Abraham's told to go up on the mountain and sacrifice his son, right? Well, he's probably thinking to himself, like, I'm 100 years old. Uh, you promised the great nation was going to come from my seed. How's, how's that going to work? But he doesn't question them. Why? Because he had faith. He, he probably either figured God was going to raise him from the dead or he was going to do exactly what he did and stop him at the last second. He didn't question. He probably didn't even think of how's it going to work. He just said, well, God said, do it. I'm going to do it. That takes faith. Every dispensation of time of human history has required faith. And so for the Christian today, for us, it's faith in Jesus Christ, right? It's not only faith in Jesus Christ. It is only faith in Jesus Christ, but it's, in, it's faith that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the shedding of his blood, paid the sin debt, right? It's believing that whole thing. You could believe in Jesus. Many people do. That, that doesn't get it. That doesn't get you there. That faith in, in Jesus, you believe in Jesus, guess what? The devil believes too. And it says the devil believes and trembled, trembles. The faith has to include the trust and the belief that what he said he did on the cross, he did. Without that, we have nothing. And so that plug plugged into itself, we believe the, the Bible's true because it says so in the Bible. That's right. That's exactly right. I stand by that. Go to Genesis 1.1, first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there's really, there's four things, well, really two things that we need to see there. In the beginning, God. God was there before the beginning, and he created the world. Genesis 1.1 tells us both of those things. It also tells us that the world had a beginning, and if we can deduct from that, if it had a beginning, it's got to have an end. 
we can go up to Revelation, we can look at that, but that's, for the sake of this, those two ironclad facts. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That takes faith. If we don't believe that, then none of the pages that come after are gonna mean anything. We have to believe the very first line in the Bible, the very first verse of the Bible, we have to have faith, we have to believe that. And, and we have to believe every word that follows it. And even though we can't explain it in the realm of the world, can I explain how the resurrection happened? And no, we can't. And I think there's a reason why God didn't allow any of the disciples or the two Marys or Joanna or any of these people that were there, he didn't allow any of them to see the actual resurrection, right? Because if they, I think, now this is, you know, maybe I'm taking a little license here and I don't really want to do that, but I think scripture bears it out. But if they did that, if he did that, he allowed somebody to see it. Would it take faith for them to believe it, right? And so it's always, always been by faith. You know, you know, we look at the book of Romans. The book of Romans is like, it's an awesome book to read and study. It's so full, like doctrinal truth, and um, it's just amazing. But it talks about, you know, righteousness and and being of faith and not of works. And we can't work our way into heaven. If righteousness was by the law, faith means nothing. It wouldn't be important, right? But we don't, there's, I said it briefly the other day when we we closed that, you know, how many kinds of people are there in the world? Right, there's you know, skinny people, fat people, short people, tall people, good people, bad people. No, there's two kinds of people. There's people that are saved and people that are not saved. People that trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to be their savior, people that believed that the work that he did on the cross, the shedding of his blood paid for the sin debt of humanity, of mankind, and people that reject that. And the people that believe it, they didn't see it, they weren't there. We are those people. We weren't there. How do we believe it? We believe it by faith. It's by faith. And, and the New Testament is filled with scripture that tells us that salvation comes by faith, not by works. But good people versus bad people, right? Well, <clears throat> hell is going to be filled with good people but by the earth, by the world's standards. And, and heaven, and while there can be no sin in heaven, there's going to be a lot of sinners. Sinners saved by grace, right? And so, you know, a couple stories of a couple friends of mine. Um, I grew up, many of you know, I told you my testimony before. I didn't grow up in church. I grew up in a cult. And so, <clears throat> like any good lie there's components of truth, right? The Catholic Church believes in the Holy Trinity. You know, they, they believe in the, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one God. They believe in the virgin birth. But yet, 
they are not teaching what you need to know to be saved. They're not teaching about salvation. They're not teaching about biblical salvation. And so I grew up with this kid, and he lived next door to me since we were small. And we were just out of high school a couple of years, and he was, he was a train wreck. I mean, we all were, you know. Um, these are the people I hung out with and grew up with. I was unsaved. And he rolled his truck over on the S corners in Harrington. And there was three people in the cab of that truck. My brother was one of them. And he totaled the truck. And in doing so, he wiped out another car that had a couple in it, totaled that car too. And praise God, by the grace of God, every single person in the accident walked away with only scratches. But he received his fifth charge for driving while intoxicated. He went to, away for a couple of years and he got clean and sober. And he came back and he completely turned his life around. He, he got married, had kids. He started a successful contracting business. He lived in a $500,000 house. It was a, truly an American success story. And if you knew him, you know, in high school, he was like voted like most likely to be in prison his whole life. But yet here, here he was, this American success story. By the standard the world sets for man, he was good. He was good to his wife. He was good to his kids. He was responsible. He saw to their needs. He put a good roof over their head, made a good living. You know, he was honest in his business practices. And so one day, when I came up here in January of 2019, no, I'm sorry, 2020, and I was driving down the road and I hear this, Timbo! He's yelling out his window and I look and it's him. And he says, pull over. So we pull over, we go to lunch. And I tried to witness to him before, but... You know, when I, I had said the other day, the first few years I was saved, I really had no clue what I was doing. And so we sat there for lunch, and he could see a difference. You know, he says, man, you changed. And I says, well, it's, it's the Lord, you know. I says, you got to know the Lord, Mike. You got to, you know, oh, no. He says, I, I think what I said to him was like, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven and he says, well, yeah, yeah, I'd go to heaven. How do you know? Well, I'm good. I'm a good person. I, don't, I never hurt anybody. I don't kill anybody. I've never cheated anybody. I'll look at the life I lived before. I turned my life around. I'm doing really good. Well, and, and now, you know, again, and I think I shared in the men's prayer that in the last few years, I try to get serious about, you know, about my walk with Christ and about how to witness. And I'm still trying to figure it out. It doesn't come easy to me because to talk to people that I don't know is not easy. But honestly, I don't think I presented the gospel in the right way to him. I think I, but I think that was one of the events that made me realize I gotta get serious about this because that's how we left it. He said, I'm all set, I'm a good person. And I tried to tell, you know, told him what I thought and I, I, that was the last time I ever saw him. He caught COVID and went in the hospital, went on a respirator and never came out. I never spoke to him again. And so I thought to myself, 
that's, it's my fault. He, where is he right now? Well, I know the answer, right? I know he never made a profession of faith. He wasn't saved. And I thought to myself, I bear some responsibility for that, don't I? Because I'm saved and I'd been saved. I'd been saved for eight years, seven, eight years. And I didn't know the proper way to present the gospel, right? I believed, I know I'm saved. I, and, I, and I told him that, you know, the, it's the blood of Jesus that pays for your sins. But, you know, you have to back up and you have to start, you know, we're all born on the way to hell, on our way to hell. Show them where it says it in Scripture. Bring them through the Romans road. And, the, you know, we all need a Savior. And, and I, I didn't, I don't think I did that properly with him. And so I always bore a little responsibility, I felt, for that. And so back up. That was the second incident because the first, first time I had a kid guy that we were really good friends and we met in high school and we got our electrical contractor licenses about the same time and we did a lot of work together and, you know, we'd see each other for every day for three months working together and then we wouldn't see each other for six months and then he ended up moving his family to San Antonio and he comes to move back and um, he stayed with me for a little while until he could get an apartment established and he brought his wife and his daughters up. And so I had a, a, he was an atheist. He was a staunch atheist. He didn't want to hear witness testimony. He didn't want to hear anything. The Bible's a fairy tale and God is not real, he would say. It, how can people, how can he let children get sick? I mean, the whole thing. And, and I tried to talk to him, but he just wasn't hearing it. Well, when I was in transition to going to Virginia, I had a, a road king, and it was beautiful, you know, and I, I wanted, I needed to put it somewhere, and I was real particular about where I put it, and I put it in Facebook, like, hey, if anybody could help me out, whatever. So he calls me up, and he says, hey, look, he goes, I got a four-bay garage in the back of my house, and he says, you know, you can keep it down there. It's secure. I got thousands of dollars worth of tools down there. There's no windows in it. It's secure. So I went down and looked at it, and I said, Chris, I'll give you whatever you want. Nope, I don't want your money. He says, don't even insult me by offering me money. You keep it there as long as you want. So I talked to him. I tried, again, to talk to him about salvation, and he just wasn't hearing it. He wasn't hearing it. And I worked second shift, and I would come home, and I'd be on social media at night, catching up with things and like I'd see him in messenger and we'd start chatting and I always try to bring it around to to some kind of testimony or you know try to share the gospel with him but again you know this is before the, the first incident this is going back four or five years and um I know that I was inadequate in the way that I did it but I was doing the best I could but but see that's an excuse because why did it take me six years, you know, seven, eight years after I got saved to figure, to, and not that I figured anything out, but I'm trying to get better at it. Why didn't I do it from, from day one? What's that say about me, right? And so he says to me one day, you got to come down here. I want to show you where the key is and stuff, just in case. And I said, all right. And he says, yeah, I haven't been feeling good. I'm sick. I says, oh, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, well, 
that time of year or whatever. You make up some excuse. So I go down there. He brings me in the garage, and he says, well, my wife's car is parked here. There's a shelf. If you go behind the shelf under this picture, that's where the key for the back garage is. I says, all right, well, you know, I said, Chris, I wouldn't come here without you anyway. Well, I just want to let you know in case I'm not here when you come. And I says, well, again, I'm not going to come here without you. And he says, well, you know, I'm sick. And I says, oh, well, I hope you feel better. He says, no. No, he says, I got stage four pancreatic cancer. And he goes, like, eight months ago, the doctors gave me six months to a year to live. And so he, he looked normal. He, he looked like he wasn't, he wasn't, it didn't show that much on him. And so he said, so I'm just letting you know, this is where the key is in case I'm not here when you come back to get the bike. And so it hit me, right? And so I said to myself, okay, this is it. You have to do that. You have to figure out how to do this. And so I would talk to him, call him, talk to him in Messenger. And, you know, in my zeal and in my inadequacy and my inexperience, I would get, because it's my fleshly nature, and I hadn't learned how to let God direct me, I'm still trying to learn that. But I would get aggressive, I guess is the word. Not in a bad way. But I said to him one day, one night, I said, Chris, I said, you realize that when we all die, there's only two possibilities. Heaven or hell. Well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter if you believe it. I says, if you believe you could fly and you jump off a cliff, by the time you figure out you're wrong, it's too late. I said, you know, you have to get saved. You have to realize we're all born on our way to hell. And I try to present the whole thing to him. He, you know, stopped me. I don't, then he says, oh, that's, and he got really upset. And, you know, looking back, I think maybe that was the Holy Spirit tugging on his heart. But he says, like, that's a great thing to tell me. I'm about to die. You're basically telling me I'm going to go to hell. And I says, no, I'm I'm telling you the exact opposite. You don't have to go to hell. And then I had to stop myself because I felt like saying, well, first of all, I'm not telling you anything because you don't let me tell you anything and you're not hearing it. And if what you say is right and there's no God and there's no heaven and there's no hell, what difference does it make what I say anyway? How could that hurt you? But I thought like, well, there's a chink in his armor. And I stayed on him, I stayed on him. And I went over to visit him shortly before he died and he was, you know, he's a big guy like me. I mean, not as good looking as me, but he was big. And he, um, I mean, he was, he, he was down 80, 90 pounds. I mean, his skin was gray. I mean, he was, I knew he didn't have long. And so I said to him, Chris, you gotta get this straightened out. And he looked at me like for a moment, I thought he heard, you know, and he just says, nope. He goes, if there was a, you know, he would just went back to the whole thing. And so he died. So, <clears throat> you know, where, where is he? Okay, first of all, where are these two guys? And then second of all, what's that say about me, my witness, my ability to present the gospel? That's all I have, right? Dave touched on it the other day. Why doesn't God take us the moment we're saved? Once we get saved, why doesn't he just say, okay, you're out of here, you're coming to heaven? Well, because we're here to spread the gospel. Because we've got that mission, right? 
And what does that say about me if I can't present that? And, and so it, it hit me and it hurt me in my heart. And I started thinking about all these people and my family members and loved ones. And I started thinking about this like, there's good people. Well, we know by God's standard, there's no good people. By the world's standard, there's good people in hell right now. People that I loved personally in my life, they're in hell. And there's other ones dying every day. And you get to my age and more of your friends start dying. Not a lot, but I mean, it's starting to happen with a frequency. And, I, and every time I see it, I think, oh man, were they saved? You know, why didn't I reach out more to them? Or, you know, if I see them, I'll casually try to mention something. But I'm thinking like, I got to figure this out. I got to let God show me how to, because I can't figure nothing out, first of all. Like, I'm not, you know, it just shows you I'm struggling still because that's where my trouble begins. It's like when I think I'm going to show them. It, the Holy Spirit has to do it. But I have to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to show me how to present it. And, and if I can't do that, why am I still here? What am I doing? Right? It brings me to that, you know, the church of Ephesus and the seven letters. Right? The, those seven letters are like report cards. Seven letters of revelation. They're like report cards to the churches. And they're actually literal letters to literal churches. But if, but in, I'm going to go there because, again, I don't want to paraphrase, but in the, in the second chapter of Revelation, it's, it talks about, you know, the, it addresses the church of Ephesus. It says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So the seven golden candlesticks are the churches, Right? Uh, he that holds the stars in his hand, that's, they're talking about God, right? So, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Do the first works. Or else I will come up to thee, unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So there's an application for the individual Christian. Obviously, he's addressing the churches. He's literally addressing John, this being revealed to John, he's literally addressing the seven churches. There's way more than seven churches. Seven's letter of completion. He's addressing the entire church. And so every church anywhere in that time, all the way up till today, can find themselves in one of those categories, one of those seven states, or in, in many churches, in several of them at the same time. And so this letter to the church at Ephesus, he's addressing, he's uh, describing a, a self-satisfied Christian. 
right? We talked about it. Do you, you know, you park in the same seat, you come and sit in the same pew. Are you doing the first works? The f- and I, believe me, I'm talking to myself. I'm not trying to condemn anybody else because I'm guilty and I'm trying to work on myself and nobody else. But if we're all honest and we all look at ourselves, are we, do, are we doing the first works? The first work for the New Testament Christian is to spread the word of God. It's to share the gospel. And if we're not doing that, then we are that self-satisfied Christian. If we, again, not, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I, again, I'm guilty of this too. We go on a bus trip out to the summer house in the summer to get ice cream. Trust me, I never want to miss that trip. I love it. And there's nothing wrong with fellowship, and fellowship's important. And if we go back to the first century church, we'll see the component of fellowship, and it speaks of it, and it is important. But if, if we're putting more people on a bus to go get ice cream than we're putting in the pews at Sunday school or Saturday, Sunday night service or Wednesday night service, then we, me, Tim Butler, I might be in danger of being that self-satisfied Christian. If I'm coming here because I want to schmooze and I want to, you know, it's a social event. If I'm coming to church because it's a social event, then I might be that self-satisfied Christian that he's talking about in the book of Ephesus. And I don't want to be. And my friends that are dying and people that I love are dying and going to hell, that's my failure. That's That's a little bit strong statement on Pain with a broad brush. It's not completely my failure because the Holy Spirit works on people during their lives and they have a responsibility in that too. But if I'm not presenting the gospel properly and completely and in a way that fits with this book 100%, then I bear a responsibility for it. And even if I put the responsibility on myself, but I don't believe I do, I did because I believe we're called to do that. We're called to be witnesses, right? The Great Commission, go preach the word to the whole world, right? We, we are, that's not a responsibility I place on myself. That's a responsibility God places on us. And so at the, the judgment day, right, at the end, we're all gonna have resurrected bodies. We're all gonna stand before God, the saved and the unsaved alike. Well, guess what? Those guys that I tried to witness to and did a poor job of it, they're going to believe on that day. But it's not gonna help them. It's not gonna save them. And I think about that. And I think that I I bear responsibility for that. And so I gotta get serious. I gotta get serious about God's word. I gotta get serious about studying for God's word. I gotta put all the other fluff aside. I got, you know, I, I, and again, you know, I gotta be careful because I don't wanna hurt anybody or pune anybody, but I speak for myself. I wanna be here every single time there's a service. I wanna, you know, Dave's been doing the Sunday school class. It's awesome. We're studying the deity of Christ. Everybody needs that. And, and, and you know what? If you've already got all that figured out and you don't need to come, I'm not your judge. I'm called to be a witness, not a judge. But I'm going to be here every single Sunday for morning, night, every single Wednesday, 
and I'm going to be here for every single Sunday school class, unless, you know, unless I can't be because I'm in the hospital or whatever. I, you know, again, I don't want to, I don't want to be braggadocious at all, but my wife and I went to church on our honeymoon. So we got married on a Saturday. We woke up Sunday morning and went to church. But it doesn't, doesn't make us better than anybody, but it makes me better than the person I used to be, and that's all I care about. But I encourage you all to be in the house of God when it's open, to do not forget the first works. Be about the first works. Share the gospel. Tell people about the Lord. Witness. It's all we have. It's the only reason we're drawing breath. If I wake up today and God's allowed me to breathe and I don't do that, then I failed him. And I, and I, don't, I don't want that to be my epitaph. Lord, I thank you for your word, Lord. I, uh, I hope I didn't say anything wrong, Lord, or uh, say anything that I shouldn't. I, I just thank you, Lord, for, for sharing your word, for allowing us to have access to your word. I thank you for those that made it important to be here this evening, Lord. And I just pray that we would all be about your business, Lord. And on this Resurrection Sunday coming up, that we would remember, not only this week, but remember every week and every day, Lord, the work that you did on the cross. Lord, the, the shedding of your blood, paying for our sin debt, for my sin debt, for every individual sin debt in this world. Lord, I thank you so much for that. I pray that you never let that leave my mind and my heart, Lord, that you allow me to remember that every day so that I can get busy doing your work. I pray for all these people here, Lord, to say, for the same thing. I thank you for it. I love you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.